Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Everyone, and I mean everyone, loves the Christmas song, Mary Did You Know? And no wonder, it is a fantastic song, isn't it? Have you ever thought about trying to answer the questions that the song asks about Mary? By going into the Bible and seeing what did Mary actually know, or what did she not know, by the time Jesus was born? Well, that's what we're going to do today in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. And the question we're going to try to answer today is, Mary, did you know that the child that you delivered will soon deliver you? So uh, our Advent series, uh, for those of you who maybe weren't here last week, uh, for these four Sundays of Advent, we're doing a special series, and we are looking at the song, the Christmas song, Mary Did You Know, which asks several questions uh, as to what did Mary know? What could she have known at the, uh, you know, immediately after uh, Jesus was born as she held him? for that first time uh, as her child, uh, what could she have known based on the things that she had been told up to that point? And uh, there are several things. Last week we looked at what Gabriel said to her. Uh, Today we're going to look at what uh, Elizabeth said to her when she went to visit Elizabeth. Uh, We're going to take at some point, we're going to probably look at what Joseph said to her, and um, then we'll see what happens. The fourth Sunday in Advent, I'm kind of thinking, I have a surprise for you. Uh, we, we may not do Mary, did you know that last Sunday before Christmas. I'm kind of thinking maybe instead we'll have a Christmas quiz. Now, I'm telling you ahead of time, so it's not a pop quiz. So, because I know, you know, everybody gets sweaty hands when you have a pop quiz. So I'm telling you ahead of time, study up the Christmas story. All the questions have to do with the Christmas story. And uh, I expect 100% uh, from this class of scholars that we have. So uh, I think that's what we'll do. That's kind of, that'll be kind of fun, I think, to do that. So. So anyway, before we get started, let's have a prayer uh, today. Jan, you want to open us with prayer today? Dear Heavenly Father, 
we so thank you for allowing us to be here in your place to worship you, to love you, to love one another, to learn all we can about you, even more than we already know. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us here safely. Take us home safely again. Keep us throughout this week. Help us to stay focused on you in this season, Lord, yes, Lord. and not that of the world. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So to start, we're going to play a video of, mm, let me see, Mary, did you know? <laughs> Last week we had Mark Lowry, who actually composed this, so this week we have a different artist or artists. Yeah, last week was cool, wasn't it? Yeah. This is what Bruce Swallen sings to me every time he sees me. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, it makes sense for you. And our friend Maria, he always sings, Maria! <laughs> every time he sees me. Oh.
shocked and I just get shocked. I just get shocked. I don't know. It's a children's choir of some kind. Do you know when it was No, you can Google children's choir, uh, Mary, did you know, and it should pop up. So. I just wondered how old they were now. Or look on YouTube. You can do it on YouTube and find it, but... There is something on Facebook too that's legendary. It's called Legendary, and they have all kinds of music like that because uh, they keep sending it to me uh, and for me to buy the stuff. But, it, but you can uh, pick it up on uh, Facebook. I say some people sing and some people sang. And those kids were singing today, weren't they? They were singing. Uh, so today we're going to try to answer the question, Mary, did you know that the child you delivered will soon deliver you? That's the second question in the song that's posed there. And I wanted to start with just a little conversation about Christmas itself, because uh, the way we do Christmas today, uh, it can sometimes be discouraging, I think. Uh, because there's so much busyness around it that struggles to take our focus off of the birth of Christ isn't there. And I think because that's what happens, uh, that it can discourage us because so much of the things we do at Christmas are done from a human standpoint more than a spiritual standpoint. And uh, our spirituality. And so sometimes that uh, wrestling match happens at Christmas for real. I mean, for example, I think, you know, shopping, <laughs> Jan might disagree with me, shopping for Christmas can be discouraging. Uh, because although things might be a little different today, but usually the stores are crowded. And now the things you want to buy aren't necessarily available. And it's hard to find a good parking spot. And so this can all be discouraging. And um, you know, sometimes uh, wrapping gifts is a big, hard job. Now, you might be one of those people who just loves wrapping gifts, but I don't. And if Amazon didn't charge $5 to wrap a gift, I would have them do it. But I have a perfectly fine daughter that can wrap them for me. But I don't like wrapping gifts. And, and, and that can be, depending on how many gifts you have to wrap, can be very discouraging. It's a big job. We try to find ways to shortcut uh, wrapping gifts. We get a lot of the gift bags, you know, so you don't have to wrap all those gifts. But I think that can be discouraging. I think um, if you have to travel at Christmas, that can be discouraging too, because, you know, getting to the airport, if you're flying and all the things you have to do now with all of that, with the masking and everything, or even if you're traveling in your car, uh, depending on when you're going, it could be a lot of traffic and 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 packing and getting ready. I mean, it can be a lot, and, and all of that can be discouraging. Uh, I think if you have people coming to visit you, right, you have to 
clean your house. You have to decorate your house. You have to get out the special Christmas china. You have to get all those decorations up and the lights up and plan your meals and get, go shopping for the meals. And that can, that can be discouraging, uh, I think. Uh, and then there's all the other stuff that you have to do at Christmas. You know, you have to send cards. You have to uh, go see something. It can be the Festival of Lights or the Nutcracker or whatever it is, but you have to go out and do something that is Christmassy, and you have to have your special Christmas wardrobe out, and that can be a whole thing. You know, where is that sweater? We had it last year. So uh, my, my sister, who I've come in for, she's like the Martha Stewart of the South, uh, but she has gotten to the point where she doesn't even put up a tree because no one comes to her house, really. She goes to see her kids, but uh, she goes, it's just too much work, and it discourages her. Now, Jan and I have found the solution to that. Jan, you want to tell them about our tree? It takes us literally five minutes to put it up, including lights and ornaments and an angel on top. Five minutes. Well, it, this long story I won't bore you with led up to this tree. Um, the tree used to be Greg and the kids' job. Of course, they decided they weren't doing this anymore. And uh, we used to have real trees, and then our older daughter got allergic, so we couldn't do that anymore, so we had fake trees. Well, they still didn't want to help me decorate the tree, so I had to do it all by myself, and I was, you know, it was a lot, a lot. Discouraging. So it was discouraging. That's my point. So I found this tree in a catalog. It is a pop-up tree, and it comes lights, decorations, uh, ornaments, everything on it. You just open the box, put the stand together, put the tree over, and pop it up. And done. Plug it in. And I'm done. Plug it in. And it's beautiful. So it really is. It's beautiful. That's what we have had for the last five, six years. You can't tell. I mean, it's just. Anyway. Well, hopefully your lights work because I just spent. I thought, well, I'm just going to put the tree up and slide and pre-light it and all that kind of stuff. Well, I just spent two days stringing lights onto my pre-lit pre tree. tree. Yes. yes, about almost 300 out of my nine. Oh, my goodness. It was like two-thirds of them were The first pop-up tree we had lasted about four years, and then the middle lights went out. So I just bought one little strand and put it in the middle, and we used it that year. And then after that, this is the second, second year we've yeah. used our new pop-up tree, and it's been fun. Or our friends, they built a special closet so they keep their tree up. You had, and they just put the tree completely decorated in the closet. Well, I've always said if I were to build a house from scratch, I would have a room in the corner that would be like on a Lazy Susan thing. So you have your tree and you just turn it, you know, when it's not Christmas and then turn it again when it is Christmas. Done, you know. So. But the thing is, Christmas for Christians should be encouraging. It shouldn't be discouraging. It should be encouraging because Jesus is born. The Savior has come. Our lives have been changed, and our lives will never be the same ever again. This should all be so encouraging, and yet we've made it into such a thing that it can be just the opposite of that. And it reminds me a little bit, I wonder if that's a little bit how... Mary felt. She had so much to be encouraged about because, at, you know, Gabriel has appeared to her 
and has told her this wonderful thing that's going to happen. She is going to give birth to God's son, and he's going to be a king and a king eternally. And, and you are highly favored. And all of this encouragement to her. And yet, she's a young girl at this point, right? She's a virgin at this point. And um, I have to think that maybe there was a little bit of discouragement, uh, too, uh, because I would have to think that if that were me, I would be feeling a little bit overwhelmed by it all. Um, not to, maybe not, okay, maybe, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll accept, I'll accept that. I, I, I would not disagree with that. Uh, but it's not all uh, rosy, necessarily. Uh, as a matter of fact, we do have, in what we read last week, that she was um, greatly troubled by what Gabriel said, and she wondered what it all meant. And we said the idea there was that she was confused, she was perplexed, and she had this wrestling, the idea of that uh, wondered is like this wrestling match is going on in your head. You, you know, you've, you've struggled with that sometimes before when you've been confused or perplexed. You have this wrestling match. You know, what does this mean? What's going on? Why is this, you know, why? And so this was the kind of thing that she was going on. Not to, and, and beyond that, just think about the practicalities of what her situation was. She's engaged. She's betrothed to Joseph. Who, what is, what is his reaction going to be? Uh, Joseph, my fiance, um, I'm expecting. What? You know, uh, if he chooses to do so, in that, in the eyes of the Lord and in the eyes of the Jewish people, a betrothal was the same as marriage. If this child is not his, then she has obviously committed adultery in the eyes of the people, the world. And if Joseph wanted to, I mean, the, the punishment of that is death by stoning. This could be a life and death situation for her. Uh, also think about uh, just the practicalities of it. Now, I, you may be surprised, I'm not a woman. <laughs> and <laughs> I've never had uh, a child before, but for those ladies here who have had a child, I would have to think it's a little bit, uh, I don't know, you have this joy and this wonderful thing you're expecting, and it's all wonderful and good, but in the back of your mind, there's not something about like, you know, is it gonna be painful? Uh, is it going to be difficult? Uh, I have a, it's gonna be a big responsibility? Because I'm going to have to feed him, I'm going to have to take care of him, I'm going to have to clothe him, I'm going to have to protect him, I'm going to have to help him. I mean, so, and in and, 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 and Mary's case, I mean, would she be thinking, you know, oh my goodness, if I don't do this just right, being the mother of God's son, if I don't do everything just perfectly, is God going to strike me dead? I mean, you know, what's what's the punishment of not being a good mother or doing something wrong, uh, making a mistake? So, I mean, I think 
the idea, and also what about her family? You know, how do you go to your mother or father and say, you know, Joseph, you know, we're, we're not married. Uh, we've had no relations, but um, expecting, I mean, you know, what about the neighbors? Sometimes you care more about the neighbors think than what your own family thinks, or maybe even what your fiance thinks. So I think we can I think, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say she wasn't discouraged. I, I think that's a good point. I think it's a good point. But just like we can feel overwhelmed by Christmas, we can feel overwhelmed by all the things that we have to do. I know Jan is working her fingers to the bone to get our house ready for our grandkids to come visit us at Christmas. She's, and, and I'm feeling overwhelmed for her. I'm sitting there saying, good job, Jan, way to go. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, but, but you, so Christmas can, you can make you feel overwhelmed by all the bigness of it. And I think, is there anything bigger than having God's son? I mean, the, just the bigness of it itself must have, I think, made her feel a little bit overwhelmed. And that might be part of the reason, remember we looked last week, as to why Gabriel said to her, not once but twice, you're highly favored. You're highly favored. In other words, he said, he said, don't be afraid, right? You're highly favored. In other words, God has this for you. And then he also says, uh, God will be with you. And so, and we talked last week how you're highly favored means uh, this is happening because of the life you've lived up to this point, the person that you are. But from this point forward, even though there are wonderful things that are going to be happening, there must also be overwhelming things that are going to be happening, scary things maybe that are going to be happening, but God is going to be with you. So I think we come to today's uh, passage where uh, Mary goes to see Elizabeth. And I think it's something that she needed. I think, I think that Mary thought she was going to see Elizabeth for one reason, but I think God had in mind a different reason for her to go see Elizabeth. So turn in your Bibles uh, to Luke uh, chapter 1, and we're going to uh, start with verse uh, 39. Um, so at this point, Luke has introduced us to uh, Elizabeth and to Zechariah, her husband. And in the introduction, he has told us that they're very old, uh, they're older, um, that Elizabeth has been barren, has not had children up to this point. And, uh, and, and Zechariah and, and Elizabeth are both from the priestly line, uh, from the line of priests descended from Aaron. And, and both of them are. And uh, Zechariah has responsibility uh, at certain times of the year because of the uh, he's a, a part of a group of priests. What happened is uh, the temple, uh, the, there were priests who would take care of maintaining the temple and doing the services. And it was done on a rotating basis. And so each group of priests from different places would come and they would spend two weeks uh, taking care of the temple and doing the sacrifices and so forth. When their time was over, they'd leave, and another group would come in. It was a rotating basis. And so when it was uh, the time for uh, Zechariah's uh, group to come uh, during that two weeks, he was chosen, and this sometimes could be like a lifetime remarkable event. He was chosen to actually go in and do 
the offering in the Holy of Holies. And so when he goes in, guess who shows up? Gabriel, right? And he says, and I like it. See, he says, um, if you want to go just like real quickly, uh, verse 11, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Oh, we've seen that before. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. So he's been praying for what? A child. A child. For Elizabeth to have a child. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And also, and then, um, uh, and he'll make at the at the bottom there in verse uh, seventeen at the at the end he says, you know, he'll he'll make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I love verse eighteen. Zachariah asked the angel, "How can I be sure of this?" How can I be sure? Remember, is that, do you remember we were talking about Abraham? He said, how can I know that my I'll, I have all these descendants? It's like, you know, God has chosen you and said, but, you know, you need proof. And like Zachariah's been praying for a child. And now Gabriel's going to have to just, well, how can I be sure? It's just this is the way we work. This is the way we operate, isn't it, as, in, in humanity. So anyway, Elizabeth now is expecting. Let's look at verse uh, 25 real quick. Or no, let's look at verse 23. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In other words, her barrenness. And then in verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town called Galilee, to a virgin place to be married to a man named Joseph. Son of David, name was Mary. Now that in the sixth month does not mean in the sixth month of the year. It means in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We're just talking about Elizabeth's pregnancy. Five months she goes into seclusion. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, he appears to Mary. And what does he what does he say to Mary in in the in, in what he says to her? He tells her. That, verse 36, this is Gabriel speaking to Mary. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who said it to was said to Aaron is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible to God. So she knows that Elizabeth is expecting, right? Even though she's old, and she's been barren up to this point. So this gets us, that's the background to verse 39. Verse 39 is where we're going to start today. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Shalom, Elizabeth, shalom. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. How did Elizabeth know Mary was expecting? I mean, first let me say this, one thing. Was Mary pregnant at the time she went to visit Elizabeth? Or was she not yet pregnant? You think she is pregnant? Does everybody agree? Anybody disagree? But it's, it's not Mary feeling it move. This is Elizabeth feeling it move. Now she's six months pregnant. Well, here's the good news. There's no right or wrong answer to that question. Because 
if you read this passage about Elizabeth, it does not say specifically that Mary is yet expecting. It says that the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb when she heard Mary's voice. It may not have anything to do with the fact that she's expecting yet. So who's the loud voice in 42? Is that Mary or Elizabeth? That's Elizabeth. Okay. So, But <coughs> I'm going to let you off the hook here because even though it's a point of discussion and and some disagreement about whether or not she was expecting this point or not, I think she had to have been. I think she had to have been because, number one, I like the poetry of it. It's just like God. And number two, I don't think that John, who John would become John the Baptist, he might have leaped in Elizabeth's womb just because he heard Mary's voice. But I think it's much more likely he would do that if he was in the presence of Jesus all of a sudden in Mary's womb, right? They're already communicating. They're not even born yet, right? But in, in, his, in what Gabriel said to uh, uh, Zechariah is that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. So if he is already six months pregnant in his mother's womb, he's already filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus comes, even though in the womb of Mary, what does it say? He leaped. Oh, guess what this leaping is? I wrote it down. This leaping is joy. Since he leaped for joy. This joy is joy that is highly expressive and demonstrative. And it is celebratory joy that is sometimes accompanied by dancing. John the Baptist was dancing with joy in his mother's womb when Jesus in, uh, this is what I believe, Jesus in Mary's womb came and he was in Jesus' presence. Is that too cool? I love that. How far a trip was that from Nazareth to Hebron? 80, 80 miles. So probably 200 miles. 200. About. It was a long trip. It was a long trip, yeah. Because uh, Nazareth is about 60 miles north of Jerusalem, and uh, Hebron is about 20 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, Hebron's another, your Bible says he was born in, that well, there. I had written it in there. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, so th- that's what, it doesn't say necessarily, but we do think it's Hebron because in um, Joshua, there's a verse that says that this line of priests would were given the land of Hebron to live in. So that's probably where they were from. So, but now, how does Elizabeth know? It says, blessed are you among women, blessed is the child you will bear. Uh, But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? How how does she she know that Mary's pregnant? Number two, uh, how does she know that Mary's going to be the mother of my Lord? Uh, How does she know Mary's blessed and the child you're, you're going to bear is blessed. How does she know any of this? I mean, Mary just showed up. Shalom, Elizabeth. Boom. What says there, Elizabeth was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit revealed this to her. The Holy Spirit revealed this to her. And and when it, when it, just going down to verse uh, 45, blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said. So we talk, number one, Mary's faith. Blessed is she who has, she believes it. She believes this is going to happen. As soon as uh, Gabriel told her, she believed it would happen. This is great faith that Mary had. Now this, we have up here, 
that if you look at verse um, 42, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And then verse 45, blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said will be accomplished. It's two different words in the Greek. The, in verse 45, the word blessed there, in verse 40, in the, ver, the first one's blessed means that, you know, God has blessed you. you know, it's, it's a good thing. But verse 45, the blessed there is more intense. It means, I wrote it down, God, the, the, that blessed means God is present and involved in your life. The hand of God is at work directing all of your affairs for a divine purpose. You live before the face of God. So here's a little saying to Mary. Mary, blessed is she who has believed. She's talking about you. I'm talking about you, Mary. Mary, you are blessed. God is present and involved in your life. The hand of God is at work directing the affairs of your life for a divine purpose. You are living before the face of God right now. And then the last thing there that uh, what the Lord has said will be accomplished. The idea is that it's as good as done. She doesn't say, she says, what the Lord has said will be, not maybe, not perhaps, not if you're good, not if you're bad, not, it will be accomplished. It's as good as done. Wow. Now, why do you think God sent Mary to I think Mary went there thinking, Elizabeth is old. She's having a baby. She's six months along. Maybe she needs help. I'm going to go see if I can help her. But she wasn't the one. I mean, she did, I'm sure, give Elizabeth help. But she was the one who got the help, wasn't she? Because how encouraging would this have been? To Mary, all those things are being overwhelmed by this responsibility, and yet she gets the Gabriel telling her you are highly favored, and then she gets to Elizabeth. Not even, Elizabeth, not even know, now. See, that's another thing. Not even knowing she's expecting, Elizabeth says all these wonderful things to her, and Mary has to say, "God has revealed this to Elizabeth. This is God talking to me through Elizabeth. Sometimes God can talk to you through people." Sometimes he talks to you directly, like he did with Gabriel. Sometimes he talks to you through other people. And um, so you need to be aware of those God moments. But when, And sometimes when you need encouragement because you're feeling overwhelmed, God can speak to you through someone else to help you be encouraged and uplift. And I'm going to just say something here as an aside. Please be an encourager. People need it. You don't know. I mean, you don't, what see on the surface, you may not realize. Even if they don't look like someone needs them, everyone can use a word of encouragement. Everyone feels better after you encourage them. And you know what? You get, I'm sure, and Mary obviously was blessed by this. She needed this, I think. God sent her there to get this because he knew she needed it. But I think Elizabeth must have felt pretty good about being used by God in that way, too. So when you encourage someone, you lift them up, but you also lift yourself up. Okay, so let's talk for a minute about the song. The song, uh, oh, we're running out of time. Uh, the song says, Mary, did you know that the child you delivered will soon deliver you? So what word do we need to define in that? Deliver, deliver right? 
Last week, the word that we had to define, the question was, did Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? We need to define the word save. So this week, by saying, did you know that the child that you deliver will soon deliver you, we need to define deliver. So how do we define the word deliver? From a Christian standpoint. Salvation. Okay. Rescue. Set free. So is there a difference? between save and deliver, or is it the same? Now, let's define save for it. When we talk about it as a Christian, that we have been saved, the idea there is salvation. We, are, we receive salvation. We are saved. It's an act of forgiveness and grace through Christ. Uh, it's, a, it's a transaction that... He takes our sin and we get his righteousness. Uh, it's eternity promised for the future. And uh, our sins are forgiven, right? So that is save. Deliver um, is similar. Uh, and you can make a point that they're the same, but I, my thing is they're not exactly the same, but they're very similar. Uh, you you can't be delivered in this way, in, in the Christian way of thinking. You cannot be delivered unless you're saved, okay? But if you're saved, you're automatically delivered, okay? So, uh, so saving is the act of salvation. Delivering is what happens because of that salvation. You're delivered from hell. You're delivered from sin. You're delivered from an old life. You're delivered to a new life. Uh, Moses was the deliverer of God's people in the Old Testament, delivering them from slavery in Egypt to freedom and a new life, an old life, slavery in Egypt, delivered them from that and delivered them to a new life in the promised land of freedom. Jesus is our deliverer in that he delivers us from slavery to sin, an old life, to a new life that is freedom as saved, innocent individuals through his sacrifice on the cross. Great. I never thought of this before, but um, the Hebrews have been waiting for the Messiah forever. And this Messiah, they all connected to McCollum's iPod. Yes. And so um, they were expecting it to be a a marital, marshal kind of delivery. Yes. But... um, Christ did come to deliver them in fulfillment of the messianic prophecy. Um, so um, delivery really is a very appropriate word, yeah. um, even though it wasn't delivery in the sense they were expecting. Right. And I, and I think the word deliver has the idea of movement, has the idea of a change. And so you're saved, you, you receive salvation and forgiveness and a new life, and that delivers you, it changes you. So saved is being saved, and delivering is meaning you're changed to something, old to something new. Okay, I'm running out of time, so I want to play this for you. This is a song that I think really does a great job of talking about this. Listen to this one. 
Today I went back to the place where I used to go. Today I saw that same old crowd I knew before. When they asked me what had happened, I tried to tell them. Thanks to Calvary, I don't come here. Exactly. He is, he's, he's probably one of the greatest uh, bass singers of, ever of all time. So, well, that's got to get you right. So, question: Did Mary know that the baby she delivered would soon deliver her in the way that we know delivery, uh, being a deliverer in the Christian theology? Did she understand it that way? 
Remember last week we said she probably didn't see save as salvation like that. They were expecting the king to be a earthly king, a political king, a king, a military king, uh, God's kingdom, but it would just be a translation for the Jewish people only, and it would be you know a, a physical kingdom, not a spiritual. I mean, we spiritual, but we're talking about we talk about a spiritual kingdom as Christians, and they were thinking about an earthly kingdom, God's kingdom. So if she thought that about save, would she think deliver? I mean, I, I, I'll give you the I don't think so. I think she might have thought Jesus would deliver her from certain things. He might deliver her from poverty if he's going to be this great king. And, and you know, she's his mother. She might think that he's going to deliver her from uh, uh, worry and concern. He's going to take care of her. She, he's going to deliver her from... Uh, uh, you know, the work of being a mom, you know, uh, she'll have a special place in his kingdom. There are a lot of ways she might be thinking about deliver, being delivered, but I don't think it was in the spiritual sense that we think of today. Do, do any of you think any differently than that based on what we've looked at today? I do. Yeah, okay, go ahead, Mary. Well, I just, when it, she says, my soul manifests the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Right, but the... But, 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 salvation is brand new. I mean, but we're, but see, we're looking at sa- Savior in a different way today than she would have been looking at Savior, I think, as a Jewish person of that day. The Savior, God being Savior to them was, he would save them from Roman rule. He would save them from this world. He would save them to a new kingdom that he would be the king of for eternity but, but that salvation uh, was not Jesus on a cross dying for our sins and save, being that kind of a Savior. So I think she can say, God, my Savior, and her meaning was this, the, the kind of, they, the, God as Savior was a com- common concept, but that saving was for the Jewish people to be saved to a kingdom that God would establish for them because they were Jewish, not that they would qualify that kingdom through giving Jesus their life and being saved that way. Well, I mean, we can, we, we can agree to disagree because there's no right or wrong answer. But I'm saying sometimes we read into situations being Christians that they as Jews at the time may not have looked at the same way we do. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand up and say you're absolutely wrong for, for believing that, not at all. I mean, you could be right. Uh, we don't know. The, you know. These are things we don't know. We don't know necessarily what's in a person's heart or what they knew or didn't know. But I just want to give you a different way of looking at things uh, based on, you know, what might have been the environment of the day. So, well, the environment of the day was the fact that the Israelites so many times went against God's law and they were punished as Correct. Punishment. So I can't help but think part of that was on her mind, you know, herself as well as the whole nation. Yeah, if you read her Magnificat, she goes into uh, the she, that was basically divided into four parts. It's what God has done for me. It's what God has done for the for Israel. Uh, for other people, it's what God has done in the past and what God's going to do in the future. So that Magnificat, we don't have time to do it, but Magnificat has four different parts to it. What, look what God has done for me. 
Look what God has done for other people. Look what God has done in the past for us as a people, and think about what God's going to do for us in the future. So that kind of encapsulates it all uh, in in her her Magnificat there. So here's uh, George MacDonald wrote this. I thought this was really good. He says, They were all looking for a king to slay their foes and lift them high. Thou camest a little baby thing that made a woman cry. So I like that. So, okay. So, uh, I think she didn't know based on what, uh, we know today as deliver. But if you think otherwise, I understand that. And I'm not going to say you're wrong because you could be right. But, uh, this is one of those things that, uh, we're, we're going to agree to disagree and it's all fine. It's all good. But when I do my Christmas quiz, there are right and wrong answers, so be ready. You know, Greg, I would just say all those people that believed in what the Messiah was going to do, as you've described it, had not been visited by the angel Gabriel and told she was carrying Amen. the Son of God. True. The, True. I didn't hear that. I didn't what hear did you say? <laughs> I said all of the Jews that believed what what the Messiah was going to be had not been visited by the angel Gabriel and told she was carrying the Son of God. And had a, a perfectly innocent another woman identify the moment she met her. And she believed. Yeah. And she was obedient. Yes. And because of her obedience, you know, we we end up getting saved. Yes. We did, but that was 30 years later at the cross of Calvary. That wasn't at his birth. At his birth, I think, my personal personal opinion is, as a Jewish woman, she thought that Jesus was being born to be the king, the king right then and there of a physical earthly kingdom. That's my, that's how I read it. Okay, so if you, can you give me just five minutes because, uh, remember last week we did Joseph's journal at the beginning? Would you like to hear Joseph's journal, the betrothal? Part two? No? Okay, yes, okay. Okay. (laughs) You're just like my my high school class I used to teach. It's like... Okay, Okay, great. Since you're overwhelmingly making me sing. Okay, this is Joseph's journal, The Betrothal, okay? This is Joseph writing. I found this at the archaeological dig out of Anderson Township. Mary could never do anything that would disappoint me. Or so I thought. But how could I even have imagined her words that evening as we walked out to see her father's sheep? She was unusually quiet as we discreetly held hands on our way down the well-worn path. I could tell that something was on her mind. She was definitely troubled for some reason. We soon heard the familiar sounds of sheep grazing in the pasture. A few steps more and we found our special spot. We sat down far enough away so we could see the sheep without disturbing them. It was a place we had often come after our engagement. We could be alone there and talk openly, privately, but still be near her home where her parents could easily find us. I tried to lighten the mood by complimenting the tasty dinner we had just shared with her mother and father, knowing that Mary had played a big part in preparing the food. I mentioned how nice her shawl looked in the fading sunlight. I even reached over and gently tickled her knee in the spot that always made her laugh, but she quickly moved her leg away. Now is starting to worry. What was wrong? Had I done something or said something that upset her? I just started to say, Mary, have I done something? When she blurted out the words that struck me like a knife through my heart. Joseph, I'm expecting a child. What? 
A flood of thoughts and images began to fill my mind almost immediately. I remembered when I asked Mary's father to allow us to marry. My heart was filled with hope from the very first moment. She was everything I had ever dreamed of as a wife, as a woman, as a person. She had such a gentle spirit, soft-spoken. She almost never raised her voice unless she needed to be heard from uh, heard above squawking chickens or neighborhood kids playing outside her family's home. She had strong convictions about right and wrong, and she would not compromise those. Mary worked hard at home and didn't mind the chores that were the dirtiest, seeing a stained apron as a mark of honor at the end of the day. She was a good cook, too. Her bread was the envy of her friends, and the way she roasted fish over a fire made you wish there were more fish in the sea. And she lived a life of obedience to Torah. She knew the laws, the observances, the required rituals and sacrifices, and she loved to participate in them as much as she could as a woman. Because of the kind of person Mary was, and because of my own beliefs as well, she and I had never ventured beyond hand-holding as a sign of affection during our betrothal. So how could my fiancé, someone so perfect for me, someone so much of everything I had ever hoped to have as part of my life, say something like this, Joseph, I'm expecting a child. The words reverberated in my head, echoing from one side of my skull to the other, growing increasingly louder every time they repeated themselves. Joseph, I'm expecting a child. No, no, no. All I could think of at that moment was no. Joseph, I'm expecting a child. What? Was the only word I could get out of my gut. A child, a son, she replied, back to her soft-spoken voice again. Mary could never do anything that would disappoint me. Or so I thought, but I was wrong, very wrong. I'd never been so disappointed by anyone ever in all my life. At first I thought it was intense anger that I was feeling. I was afraid I would not be able to control myself. I jumped up and turned away. Tears were streaming down my face. It wasn't anger though, it was hurt. I felt like someone had removed my spirit from within me. The dusk around me seemed to turn instantly into the darkest midnight hour. I heard someone groaning in great pain, and looking around, I realized it was me. Then the lightheadedness hit, and I became dizzy. I thought I might pass out at any moment until I felt Mary's hands take my hand, holding it almost as if in prayer. She guided me back to the ground, now on her knees beside me. I wiped my eyes and looked into hers and asked, How could you? Who? She took a deep breath, looked up, closed her eyes for a brief moment, then looked back at me. There was something about that look. I will never forget it. If I hadn't known better, I would have thought I was looking into the face of an angel. While my face was contorted with confusion and sadness, her countenance was one of peace and contentment. I couldn't understand how she could be so calm at a time like this. Joseph, listen to me. I love you with my whole heart. I would never do anything to hurt you or to disappoint you in any way. After hearing those words, I wanted to explode all over again, but for some reasons, no words came out of my mouth. I'm going to tell you a story, Mary said, and I know you'll find it hard to believe, but every word is true. All I wanted was a name. Who was he? Who was the father of this child? Did she love him? Did she want to be with him? How could this have happened right under my nose? And did Mary know what this could mean for her? Our betrothal was as binding as marriage in the Lord's sight and in the eyes of our Jewish community as well. For her to be pregnant with a child who was not mine meant only one thing. She had committed adultery. The punishment would be death by stoning. That is, if I chose to accuse her of that crime before the Sanhedrin. Joseph, the night before last Mary started again, an angel appeared to me when I was out in the barn. His name was Gabriel, 
And he told me the most amazing thing, the most perplexing thing, the most wonderful thing, the most terrifying thing. Oh my, I thought, does she really think I'm going to believe something like this? He told me that I was highly favored in God's sight and that I would give birth to a son as a virgin, and not just any son, but the son of the Most High. I don't remember much after that. I made sure she got back home safely, and then I ran all the way to my workshop. I was up most of the night working on one project after another just to keep my mind off of the churning in my stomach. One thing I did decide, though, I would end the engagement quietly without making the reason public. In spite of my broken heart, I did not want any harm to come to Mary. I still loved her. I just could not marry her. When I could keep my eyes open no longer, I crawled into bed and fell into the deepest sleep I'd ever known. Suddenly, in a dream that seemed as real as life itself, I heard someone say my name, Joseph, son of David. Immediately, I knew that this was no human voice. There was no doubt. It was the voice of an angel. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, he said, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This time I did not say, what? This time I said, amen. The next morning I ran back to Mary's house to tell her the good news, only to find her gone. Her mother told me that Mary had left earlier that day to go visit her relative Elizabeth, who was now six months pregnant, even though she was very old. Mary wanted to help her. Of course she did. That was just like my Mary, always helping. So I returned home and waited for the day when Mary would come back from her trip. I couldn't wait to tell her about the angel. I only hoped that she would believe me. Although in my heart, I knew she would. After all, Mary could never do anything that would disappoint me. So there you go. <laughs> That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom. Shalom.